always think before I speak. I want things that aren't mine, and I think ill of those who have them sometimes. Sometimes I, I run with the first negative story I hear and quick to repeat it. And if you're like me, and you know that you've blown it, and you've blown it big time, and when you compare yourself to Almighty God, you see how short you've come, I'm so thankful, so thankful, like Carter sang for us this morning, filled with gratitude that in all my filthiness, even my righteous deeds are but filthy rags, that I stand before God as if I had never sinned, because when He sees me, He sees me through what Jesus did on my behalf. <laughs> Praise God. And that's why I'm so passionate about evangelism. That's a word we don't hear much anymore, evangelism. What that basically means is now that I'm saved, now that I'm born again, I want to go out and I want to tell everybody that I possibly can about what I have, what I've found, what I've received, and how they can have it too. The word gospel simply means good news. <laughs> and that is, that is very, very good news. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. And you have access to that. I have access to that, to the gospel, to the simple story that God made us and loves us and desires a perfect relationship with us, an eternal relationship with us. But our God, who is holy and perfect and just, cannot just overlook sin. If he did, he wouldn't be holy and perfect and just. And because he's not willing that any should perish, but that it all come to repentance, Jesus entered the picture and died in my place on my cross for me, shedding his blood, washing me clean making it possible to be reunited in a relationship with God, His Father, and to call Him my Father. And not just that, but to have God work in me and then through me that I could be a part of His kingdom work. And that's why when we love God, we love others. Jesus answered the question about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And he said, second one's just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And the loving thing to do, when you've received something so precious, so wonderful, as a saving relationship with God's Son, is to share it with others. That's awesome. Colossians is all about the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus, and that's liberating. We talked about it last Sunday night at 6th through 8th grade group at youth ministry time about the 23rd Psalm. You know, the Lord, Psalm David writes, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters. And then he talks about how his rod and his staff, he says, they comfort me. <laughs> it seems like an odd combination there. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Rod, think of that as, as a weapon to beat off wolves and things that would threaten or steal sheep. The shepherd, the good shepherd, his weaponry is seen as something that brings comfort to, to his sheep because we're on his side and he's shepherding us. That staff with that hook on the end. You ever seen one of those pictures? Shows a shepherd with the, with the staff and it goes up and it kind of has that hook on the end and that pointy thing. Good for poking a wayward sheep in the rib cage, getting them back on that straight and narrow when they're running the risk of falling off of a cliff. Our God loves us. 
And when you think of Jesus and all of his power, his supremacy, his sufficiency, that is a good thing. Those are good things because, because he loves us. Jesus said it this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're not talking about the type of rest that you need when you've come off of a very busy weekend. Parents, if you've gone to swim meets and you've gone to wrestling matches and you've gone to basketball games and you've helped with homework and you've gone to your own day jobs and you've, you've taken care of things around the house and laundry and dishes and, and you think, boy, I could really use some rest. <laughs> this is a different kind of rest. This is the type of rest that a person needs when they are basically on the hamster wheel of righteousness and good deeds, trying to do enough good things to earn their way to heaven, to live according to the, the old law and to not break any of the commandments or any of the sins and just running and running and running and running and running. I'm trying to be good enough. I'm trying to give enough. I'm trying to, to worship enough. I'm trying to read the Bible enough. I'm trying to do, 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 do. And you can't do enough to wash away your own sins. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Bottom line for our message today from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23 is this. The foundation of our faith is not what we do, but who we follow. <laughs> it's more about a relationship than it is about a religion. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have rest from that labor of trying to be good enough? Because if you do, then the all-supremacy, all-sufficiency of Jesus is a good thing. It's a liberating thing. It's kind of funny, Carter mentioned his dog. I have a dog I want to tell you about a little bit as well, and that's Benji, named after the dog in the movie. But our Benji was a uh, high-spirited cocker spaniel. He was a beautiful red cocker spaniel, and he had a white toupee, we always called it, right on the top of his head. And you could not find a more lovable dog or one less smart <laughs> than Sir Benji. That poor dog, you know, his light was on, but nobody was home. And, uh, but he could, when we'd get home, he'd get so excited. Uh, he was an outdoor dog. He would get so excited, he would do like three laps around our house before he could calm down enough to come over and, and jump up and down and to get that little stub of a tail going so fast it could like, you know, clean a windshield, you know, kind of thing. But Benji had a habit of eating the neighbor's chickens and ducks. This was not thought of fondly by the neighbors. And so we worked out an agreement where we would put Benji on a chain during the day while we were gone. Boy, that drove my dad crazy. He says, we moved all the way out here to the country so that we could have this freedom and have, you know, have a dog and let the dog run loose, let the dog be a dog. Now, Benji, to his credit, a Cocker Spaniel, he was a bird dog. He's just doing what bird dogs do. He probably thought when we got home, we'd go, oh, Benji, you got another chicken? Look at you. Good job. Here's a treat. Yeah. Oh, a duck, too. Oh, that's Mickey's favorite duck, our neighbor, uh, Mick and Arvin. And, oh, you, yeah, that's Arvin's favorite goose. Oh, how great. Wonderful. But that wasn't necessarily the response. So Benji got put on a chain. But again, not being a very bright dog, Benji had a way. There's one little tree, for instance, near his doghouse that he was chained to. 
And he would have a way of going around this tree. I, we, I wish we could have had a camera to see how he did it. Throughout the day, he would work his way around this tree multiple times until poor little Benji had about this much chain to the tree. We'd come home. He'd get so excited. But, you know, instead of doing laps around the house, he just kind of was having a fit, you know. <laughs> We'd go out there, Benji, what have you, how did you do this again? And we would take the chain off of his collar. You've never seen a dog more happy to be free in your life. And Benji would not do just two laps around the house, but maybe four or five and uh, watered the flowers all the way around as he would go because you're so excited to be finally set free. When I was 18 and I gave my life to Christ, I got to tell you, for me, what I learned about Jesus, it felt like what I imagined Benji felt like when we got home after a long day and went out to him and undid his collar and let him go where he could spread those legs and he could run and he could drink and he could be happy and he could be free. And he looked at us with such admiration and such gratitude because we were the freedom providers. We were the ones setting him free from the evil chain and begging him not to eat another chicken or duck. But that's how I felt. Because growing up, unchurched, my assumptions that I made about Christianity was that it was all about stained glass windows, smoke and incense. It was all about a list of do's and don'ts. And it was about how I wouldn't measure up and I'd be in trouble kind of thing. And, and church, I, I just thought of it as more of a religion than a relationship with Christ. I thought of it as what Benji probably would have thought, thought of his chain, <laughs> to the doghouse. And I didn't want to be chained up. And when I found out, <laughs> I don't know who gave you that idea. No, no, that's not what it's about at all. Yes, good deeds are the, the overflow of the heart of someone who has been set free by Jesus. You've been set free to reflect the goodness of God and to get to do those things. And as God changes your heart, your heart's going to start lining up with him. And the things that make you feel good will be the things that Jesus would do. People always say on the news, They'll interview somebody who's done a good deed. They've given food to the hungry, or they've, they've helped build someone's house, or they, they've helped provide for somebody that needed a, a life-changing uh, surgery. And they'll say, oh, it just makes you, what do they say? It just makes you feel good. <laughs> Why do you think it makes you feel good? <laughs> because that's what we are called to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that we, were, uh, that we were the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ to do good work works. <laughs> and when you get to do what you were created to do, it's so fulfilling. Three things. As we think about being free, this new freedom that we have in Christ. First, it's a relationship, a relationship with Jesus trumps rules. Doesn't mean we don't follow the rules, that we don't try to please God, that we do everything to stay away from sin, that we do everything that we can to do the things the Bible tells us that we have to do. There are have-tos and there are don't-dos in the, in the Scripture, but that's not what it's about. It's about do you know Jesus and is He the one who is changing your heart from the inside out? Because the actions will follow what the heart 
is experiencing. And a relationship with Jesus trumps what any list of rules could do. The law was weak to create righteousness in people. All of the do's, all of the don'ts, all of the rituals, all the sacrifices. Oh, I sinned again. I got to run to the, you know, I got to, now we got to sacrifice our favorite chicken because, you know, we've, we've done wrong. All of these things that they had to do in the Old Testament because of sin was weak to save people. But the blood of Jesus Christ is all sufficient. Here's what Colossians 2 16 and 17 says, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. (laughs) They're just a shadow of the things. Again, if we go back in time and we think about the early Christians, the recipients of this Colossian letter, they were having all of these influences. Uh, you know, there were, there were all these kind of like paganistic kind of things like the new moon festivals and, and, and so forth. There were, there were the rules, don't drink this, drink that, don't eat this, eat that kind of thing. There was the, the obeying of the Sabbath. Remember, even Jesus himself experienced criticism for healing people on the Sabbath. He had to say, hey, look, the Sabbath... Man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. I've heard, back to chickens again, that people would argue about whether or not it was okay to eat an egg on Wednesday if the chicken laid it on the Sabbath, because the chicken worked to lay the egg. (laughs) What? (laughs) We've been freed from all that nonsense. Yes, we should still tithe, but not like pour out your seasonings and count out nine little flakes for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. That legalism is what we've been set free from. There are a couple of human nature elements that we'll consider today, but one of those is our tendency to fall back into the old and more comfortable ways, or even if they're uncomfortable because of their familiarity. You remember the Israelites? Oh, it was horrible in their Egyptian slavery. (laughs) They'd be whipped within an inch of their life if they didn't carry the bricks and didn't carry them faster. If they asked for any kind of a break at all, oh, you want a break? Okay, how about we remove the straw from your mud, still make as many bricks, and let's double the law. I mean, there's just constant oppression. But as soon as they made it through the, the Red Sea and they were safe and on their way, they began to grumble and complain. God provided them manna daily to eat, but eventually the manna wasn't good enough. And they'd say, is this all we got to eat? And they began to remember the glory days back in slavery. Oh, wasn't slavery wonderful? Oh, we had plenty to eat. I miss slavery. And they would begin to glory in, in the old and the painful. And sometimes we as Christians, we want to do that. We want to kind of go backwards and go back into the way that things were before we knew Jesus and become enslaved to those things. But Paul is telling them, That there is a new and better way of doing things through Jesus. This was especially true for this early church, but it's true for us today as well. Here are two misunderstandings. One is the misconception that external things can produce an internal reality. That if we just clean up the outside, the inside will be fresh and healthy as, as well. Our relationship with God though, that's what changes things from the inside out. (laughs) When you change the heart, then the things that you do and the things that you say and the things that you think, 
The decisions that you make, what you will give yourself to, what kind of temptation you will avoid or allow the attraction to draw you in is all based on your relationship with Jesus, not the list of the the do's and the don'ts. Paul wrote to the church in Rome in chapter 6, and he was addressing their newfound freedom in Christ. (laughs) Because, hey, if you can be forgiven of your sin, then let's, does that mean we can just do whatever we want tonight, go out and sin? And the more we sin, the more grace God gets to give us. (laughs) Paul says, may it never be. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a, a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, but that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> now, if you're a fairly new student to the Bible, what, you know, what he is, he's, he's likening uh, a person's decision to be baptized uh, to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And although it's just basically closing your eyes and, and your mouth and not breathing for a few seconds while you allow someone else to, to put you under and bring you back up, it is that image, it is that picture of Christ dying on the cross, being buried, and three days later rising to new life. And Paul is saying, that's what that's representing. And if you've died to sin, how can you live in it? A tradition I picked up a few years ago is that saying, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Raised to walk in a new, a new way. Louis Giglio says, The good deeds that we do as followers of Christ reflect the new reality, but they don't affect the new reality that we have in Jesus. You can't do a good, enough good deeds to affect your relationship with Christ. Like, he's going to love me more. <laughs> if I do enough good things, if I outdo all the other Christians, I'll be at the front of the class, I'll be at the head of the school, and God will love me more. <laughs> Parents, you know there's no way that you can love your children any more or any less than you already do by the things that they do or don't do. Oh, when they do great things and they achieve great things or we catch them being kind to someone, our heart swells and, and yeah, that's happiness and we celebrate that and rightly so, but it doesn't earn or disqualify our love for them. We love them because they're our children. And God loves you because you are his. And if you're born again into Jesus Christ, he calls you a son or he calls you a daughter and he loves you. And you cannot make God love you more. You cannot make God love you less. You can please him more or please him less. You can reflect his glory more or reflect him less. But you can't make him love you more or less. He loves you because you are his. 
He created you. You're his. Sin separates you, but he bought you back through the blood of Christ. You're second. You're his again. And that's love. Don't let anyone try to convince you that you need an external influence to change your heart and make you right with God. It starts inside and works its way out. The second misunderstanding that people sometimes have is that you have to be or that you can be good enough to be saved. I had all kinds of things that I thought I had to do first to get right with God before I could accept Christ and be baptized into into Him. Isn't that backwards? And I hear a lot of people, uh, you know, they'll just genuinely say, oh, I'm going to do this, but I, 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 I have to read the Bible from front to back before I do. Who told you you have to do that? What you have to know is that God made you and he loves you and that you're a, a sinner and that you need a Savior and Jesus is the only way unto salvation. And if you want to give yourself to him and follow him obediently your whole life and you want to just die to self and live for him, that's all you got to know. The study will come. I'm not finished learning. i got a lot more to learn. I'm not finished allowing God to change my heart and to make me more like him. He's got a lot of work left to do in me. But being born, the birthing process, that's the beginning, right? That's, that's where you you, you got to be born before you can learn to crawl, before you can walk, before you can run. I've told you before that a friend's mom told me once, it was actually the day after I was going to accept Christ and be baptized, and I'd blown it big time, and, and I said, and I was going to be baptized yesterday too. And I remember her saying, I don't think you're ready for that. <laughs> and I thought, ooh, she must be right. When will I be ready? When will I know enough? When will I be good enough? When will I get my act together enough to earn the right to be saved. And about three weeks later, I could take it no longer, and I finally fully surrendered. (laughs) I walked down the aisle of my grandparents' church, and I told the preacher I wanted to accept Christ and I wanted to be baptized. That was the starting point. (laughs) And it wasn't me getting my act together, and it wasn't me getting right, and it wasn't me getting righteous enough and holy enough. It was God making me that way through Jesus. And instantaneously, I, made, he, I accepted him as my Savior, and he began that sanctification process with me. I'd love to tell you that I, I saw lightning and heard thunder, and I never once had another temptation again. <laughs> it was a straight and narrow from then on for me. But I will tell you that God's Holy Spirit has continued that sanctifying process in, in, in my life. It's a, and that's, why, that's why we call it a spiritual journey. He's not finished with me yet. I have a long way to go. And like the person who said, well, I'm not what I should be, and I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I was. <laughs> Is that you? Can you say that? Your new reality in Jesus should affect you in that you become a better spouse, a, a better parent, a better son or daughter. It should affect you positively in that your employer should want to hire other Christians because you are the best employee at the place where you work. It's as if you're working for Christ instead of man. It should affect you in your respect of others, all others, even those that aren't exactly like us. It should affect how you deal with service providers. (sighs) It's not always easy to stand up for yourself and for your family and to do so with kindness. 30 minutes on hold 
and you finally get a live person wearing a very bad headset halfway around the world that you can't hear. Mm. Oddly specific. (laughs) But you do so in a loving and respectful way and with that new reality within changed, changed, changed in an instant in the forgiven sense, changed in the ongoing way that you're growing every day, every year in Christ. Secondly, a connection to Jesus trumps religion. That seems like an odd thing to hear a preacher say, (laughs) but you can be religious about anything. You can religiously worship a frog if you want to, but that doesn't make you saved. (laughs) A connection to Jesus trumps religion. Second, or Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Another human nature thing that we do is the the habit of choosing an impersonal religious practice over a relational experience. I find there are a lot of people that would far more want to be religious and go through the motions. Because in one sense, there's kind of a clocking in, clocking out. God, don't meddle in my business. I'll come to your place. (laughs) Don't call me, I'll call to you. I'll call you. I'll come, I'll come to church you know, one hour a week or a couple hours a month, and, and, and I'll go through the motions, and I'll say the right things, and I'll do all the repetition, and I'll go through all the rituals. And, and, and when I leave there, then, uh, then I want to do things my way. You be God for an hour. <laughs> well, that's not how, how it works. A connection to Jesus is 24-7, as they say. It's every second of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. When you give yourself to Christ, it is, it is a complete obedience to Him. I don't belong to me. I belong to Him. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live to the glory of God. I don't belong to me anymore. It would be an incredible Uh, thing to do, but can you imagine what if on the day you gave your life to Christ you had to bring your birth certificate and you had to sign the name Jesus in place of yours. I don't belong to me. This soul, this life, this breath that I've been given isn't mine anymore. I'm willfully giving myself to Him and the life that I live, I live for Him. And then we're going to see us reflecting His glory. We're going to see the overflow of what He's doing in the heart. It's kind of the difference between an expensive greeting card with a well-printed script and a fancy font on a card with your name just signed or printed under it. Nothing wrong with that. There's a reason they charge 6 or $7 for those at the store. But if you're like me, I, 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 the first thing I read when I open up a card, if there is one, a handwritten note. If my grandmother or an aunt or somebody has sent me a card and they write over in the corner a note for me in their own handwriting. My grandmother's handwriting, she's 99 years old, it's gotten a little scratchy, but it's the first thing I go to, it's the first thing I 
I read. Imagine the Father's Day card that you pick out. They don't always read the way we talk, do they? (laughs) You go to that personalized section. Father, may you experience all the joy that is due you this day. Love, Sean. My dad would be like, who? (laughs) Father. No, more likely say, Dad, thanks for all the stuff that you do for me. You might write one to your dad. You may say, thanks for all the stuff you do for me. You come to my games and you always keep my car running. You're the best dad in the whole world and I love you. (laughs) Dad's which card do you want to receive? (laughs) And our Heavenly Father wants a relationship with us. That's what I'm talking about. Both cards are good. Both cards are nice. But it's that personal touch. Someone has said that religion is spelled D-O. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's what Christ has done for us. One final thing, and that's a reliance on Jesus trumps our own willpower. Relying on Jesus trumps willpower. People say, just believe in yourself, <laughs> you know, just have enough willpower, just put enough, you know, buy enough uh, programs or what have you and, and roll in this and roll in that and do this and, 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 and you'll lose 30 pounds in, in a week. <laughs> no. A reliance on Jesus trumps willpower. Colossians 2, 23-23 says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they will be of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Louis Giglio says we we are free from the old system because it's not about an old system. It's about our new reality with Jesus. I remember, and I dates I'm not good with, but I remember learning in history of Christianity class about some of the periods of time in which people would torture themselves to honor God. Like they were not worthy of comfort or pleasure of any kind. That made them feel uh, bad. And there was, an, there was a sense that all material things were evil. And that was kind of the teaching of this time period, that you know, things were bad in and of themselves. The inanimate uh, world was kind of evil. And so people would, they wanted to hurt the physical body because they felt like it was holding them back. And so they would cut themselves Sometimes, after cutting themselves as an act of worship, they would intentionally allow those wounds to get infected. Isn't this sick? You know, parents, do you want your kids to do that as an expression of love to you? God doesn't want that, but that's what they got in their minds, the whole idea. They would wear uh, underwear made out of camel's hair, wool made out of camel's hair because it was uncomfortable, you know, crazy things. I heard that sometimes those wounds would become infected with, like, insects, of things like pests, uh, what do you call that? Uh, pests that would get in there. Um, and they would go up on a pedestal, and those insects would fall out of those wounds, and people would, would try to get the insects to land on, they try to get in on that person's worship. Isn't that sick and twisted? Where did the people ever get those kind of crazy ideas? That's not what God wants us to do 
at all. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. He's done all the work. No need to pay for something that's already paid for, <laughs> especially if you don't have the spiritual fundage to pay that debt in full. It's an old illustration, but I want to close with it. I think it's a good one about the preacher who, in, in, in a city area, went out behind the church in the alley area. There was a dumpster out there, and a little boy had rummaged through the dumpster, and he had found an old rusty birdcage. And he took that birdcage, and he started trapping um, some birds, worthless little sparrows of some kind. And, and he put them in this cage, and the preacher saw the little boy, and he said, hey, what you got there? Just an old cage full of some old birds. And he said, I see that. And what are you going to do with them? And he said, oh, I'm going to play with them for a while. Then I'm probably going to take them home. we got an old yellow cat lives out in the barn. I'm going to feed them, feed them to him. Oh, he said. Looked at the poor little birds. He said, well, what if I was to give you $10 for this cage and those birds? $10, he said. You got a deal. So the preacher took out $10 and he bought the the bird cage and the birds from the boy, and the boy looked at it like a lot of score, you know, and he left with his $10. And then the preacher opened up the cage after the boy was gone, and he let all those birds fly loose and be free. And he took that old rusty cage with him on Sunday morning up on the stage as part of an illustration to talk about what God has done for us. We're worth far more than the birds in that cage or the lilies of the field. <laughs> he takes care of them, won't he take care of us? And, and, and he gave this illustration. These birds didn't do anything. They didn't earn it in any way. I didn't need to do it. I just wanted to do it. I gave the boy the money. I bought the birds. I bought them to set them free. <laughs> You've been purchased with a price. Your salvation is not free. It cost Jesus his life on the cross. Oh, it's free to you. <laughs> Because it's been paid for by Him. And if you want to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, this morning, as Carter and his team come and they lead us in worship, we want to invite you to come. Come to the front as we stand and sing, and we'll lead you each step of the way and what it means to let God do that, that new reality work in your heart. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for Jesus, your Son. Lord, I pray for us this morning as we... Um, just as we kind of consider, uh, those of us who are born again in, into Jesus, God, what it means to be saved and how you want us, God, to be contagious with our Christianity and to share it with others. God, I pray that you would do your work in us, that we would have that outer flow of our heart, God, uh, that people would experience, they would get splashed on with the love and the joy that comes only from you. Thank you for doing what only you can do. Now help us to reflect that, God, and for people to see the goodness, the fruit that comes from those who are born again into Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.